Welcome to Russian History Retold, Episode 181, Tsar Paul. Was he really such a bad guy after all? Last time, we looked at the reigns of the three Alexanders and Nicholas I. Today, we're going to cover Tsar Paul by asking the question of how bad was his time as a Russian ruler? Before we continue, though, I must admit I made a mistake in the last episode. I said that Alexander III's wife was Dutch, which is totally wrong, as she was indeed Danish. Looked at the script, it says Danish, I read Dutch. But anyway, thanks to listener Dominic, who I will mention later for the heads up on the Facebook page. Paul's reign has been dismissed by some as inconsequential. Books like Russia, A History by Fries and A Brief History of Russia by Kost give his time as Tsar just a few paragraphs, despite his five years on the throne. This is, in my humble opinion, a travesty. Even renowned Russian historians such as Ryazanovsky and Steinberg only give him a few pages. Most view him as kind of a placeholder for his son Alexander I, much like his father Peter III did for Catherine the Great. This attitude is somewhat understandable as he followed the long reign of his mother, Catherine, who ruled for 34 years. But to gloss over his time is what I would deem as historical laziness. Others present a propagandist-like history of Paul's time, labeling as just lunatic and unstable. This psychological picture is, in my opinion, used as a justification of his murder. He was no doubt disliked by many of the aristocratic class. But crazy? I think that's a bit of a stretch. Still, his behavior was erratic. Kind of like a spoiled child. When he was 14, the French chargé d'affaires, Sabatier de Cabre, had this to say about the boy. Quote, He is believed to be vindictive, headstrong and absolute in his ideas. It is only to be feared by virtue of having his wings clipped. A potentially decided character may be rendered obsolete, that it may be replaced by duplicity, repressed hatred, and that high-mindedness which might have been developed in him may be stifled at last by the terror that his mother was always inspired in him. It is true that the Empress, who was careful of appearances so far as everything else is concerned, observes none of them in relation to her son. For him, she is always the tone and manner of a sovereign, and this attitude is often combined with a coldness and neglect that disgusts the young prince. She has never treated him as a mother treats her son. Therefore, the Grand Duke behaves with her as if he stood before a judge. Later, when he was a young man, the death of his supposed father, Peter III, came up. And I say supposed because Catherine intimated that Sergei Saltikov was his biological father. Nevertheless, French diplomat Berenger wrote this about a conversation the young Paul had. Quote, this young prince gave evidence of sinister and dangerous inclinations. A few days ago, he was asking why they had killed his father and why they had given his mother the throne that rightfully belonged to him. He added that when he grew up, he would get to the bottom of that. 
People are saying that the child allows himself too many remarks of that sort for them not to reach the ears of the Empress. Now, no one doubts that the princess will take all possible precautions to prevent him from putting words into actions. As he aged, his mother, Empress Catherine, was more and more disturbed by his behavior. But she was not alone, as evidenced by the following series of quotes which I found in the wonderful book. I really highly recommend it. It's a great read. It's called The Secret Lives of Czars by Michael Farquhar. First one is The English Ambassador. He has an acrimony of disposition, which already renders the great duke an object dreadful to those who look forward to a future reign. The Austrian Ambassador. With a prince of his character, one cannot count on the stability of his sentiments. The French ambassador said, They're going so far as to say his mind is deranged. The Swedish ambassador, Grand Duke Paul continues to behave very badly and to lose ground not only in the minds of the great, but in the minds of the people as well. And finally, Prince Charles de Ligne, Woe to his friends, his enemies, his allies and subjects. He detests his nation. It is the last quote that tells you much about the true issues surrounding Tsar Paul's reign. He hated Russia. In turn, Russia hated him, as seen from this quote from Count Fyodor Rostopopchin, who was to be a close confidant when he ascended to the throne in 1796. Quote, Next to dishonor, nothing could be more odious to me than Paul's goodwill. The Duke's head is filled with phantoms, and he's surrounded by such people that the most honest man among them would deserve to be hanged without a trial. He goes further to say, quote, It is impossible to observe what the Grand Prince does without shuddering and pity. It is as if he seeks out every means of making himself hated. He is obsessed with the idea that people do not respect him and that they scorn him. Proceeding from that, he fusses over everything and gives orders indiscriminately. On Wednesdays, he holds maneuvers, and every day is present for the changing of the guard and also for punishments when they take place. It is remarkable that he is never aware of his own mistakes and continues to be angry with those he has offended. He is destroying himself and contriving the means of making himself hated. This view of him by his contemporaries and his own mother was why many believe that Catherine was intending to name her grandson Alexander as her successor as early as the beginning of 1797. Unfortunately, she died in November of 1796. When he took over, he so despised his mother that he began to undo many of her policies. One was his decree on the law of succession to the Russian throne, also known as the Pauline Laws. As you know, I have a major beef with this law, as it took the choice of the successor out of the hands of the Tsar and put it into a simple rule, stating that whoever is the first male child will become the next Tsar unless he refuses it or dies before he can take over. And also, no woman could ever become the ruler unless all the males down the line were dead. His hatred of his mother ran deep. Listener Dominic asked on the Facebook page why I thought this hurt the Romanov dynasty, as 
wasn't it really kind of the standard of the European monarchies? The answer is that it wasn't the way of the Russians, and it hindered the selection of the best possible person to rule the country. And yes, there was way too much power in the hands of the Tsar, as he brought out in his question. Still, the Romanovs didn't look at it entirely correctly, in my opinion, and they would only prepare the firstborn to become Tsar, not getting any of the others ready. Because of this, Alexander III and Nicholas II were wholly unprepared for their role, and to some extent Nicholas I, and it's a role that did have so much power in their hands. But back to Paul. One of the things he did early on, which was to bring a lot of animosity towards him, was the reform of the Russian army. He used the Prussian style, which caused all sorts of resentment against him from all levels of the military. He changed the uniforms of the common soldier, which were designed by his mother's lover, Grigory Potemkin. The older outfits were cheaper, much more comfortable than the Prussian outfits that Paul gave them. But many of the foot soldiers were given better accommodations, which they greatly appreciated. According to uh, some sources, they gave him much better food than they had been served before. He also had plans for major changes in the running of the government, especially the bureaucracy. These plans, which few historians seem to address, may have saved the monarchy in the long run. When I do Catherine the Great, it is her bureaucratic expansion that I believe to this day is why Russia has so much corruption and can't get things done as efficiently as other countries. I can't tell if his plans were just because of his hatred for his mother or if he really wanted to improve the government. Whatever the reason, had he lived longer, Russia may have benefited greatly. Another area in which Paul wanted to reform things was with the nobility. He viewed them as utterly corrupt, which they were, and horribly decadent, which again, they were. The Tsar's idea of reform, though, was quite unusual and, like many of his decisions, kind of bizarre. He wanted the nobility to follow a kind of medieval chivalric order, disciplined and moral. Some in the military, like the famed General Kutuzov, were fine with these changes, but the majority were highly resistant. But this resistance came with a price, as Tsar Paul was a very capricious ruler, and even the slightest offense, like not kneeling to him when he passed on the street, even if the ground you were standing on was muddy, and you were a woman, and you had a skirt, you could land in jail, or, in many cases, exile. As Count Golovkin put it, quote, this beautiful capital, in which people used to move about as free as air, which had neither gates nor guards nor customs officers, is transformed into a vast prison surrounded by guard posts. The palace has become the seat of terror, before which one may not pass, even in the absence of the sovereign, without taking off one's hat. These fine, broad streets have become deserted, the old nobility being able unable to go to perform their functions at court without showing police passes seven times over. The nobility were really scared to go out, lest they come across Tsar Paul. I mean, they were so nervous he could tell them he didn't like his clothes, 
they were wearing or anything like that. And he could send them to Siberia. But sometimes he would, you know, order them sent to Siberia and then would, you know, reverse his decision the next day by putting the fear of God on these people. And although the nobility thought they had it bad, they were lucky not to be in the military who suffered the most under Paul. If a button wasn't shiny enough, the soldier could be sent to Siberia. Such was the capricious nature of the Tsar. As one diplomat explained it, quote, In general, the slightest mistake committed by an officer on parade, a small irregularity in saluting, is punished either by transferring the regiment to the provinces, by cashiering it at once from service, or sometimes by reducing it to the rank of simple foot soldiers. Petersburg has become the domicile of terror. To top it off, his own family feared and loathed him. His son Alexander had to be particularly careful as his father viewed him as a potential threat. Quote, uh, Alexander would say, Everything has been turned upside down all at once, and that has only increased the confusion of affairs, which was already too great. The military waste almost all their time on parades. In other areas, there is no coherent plan. An order given today will be countermanded a month hence. No remonstrance is ever tolerated until the damage has already been done. In short, to speak plainly, the happiness of the state counts for nothing in the governing of affairs. There is only one absolute power which does everything without rhyme or reason. It would be impossible to enumerate to you all the mad things that have been done. My poor country is in an indescribable state. The farmer harassed, commerce obstructed, liberty and personal welfare reduced to nothing. That is the picture of Russia. And this Alexander wrote in 1797. Now, you talk about a bad image of the head of the Russian state. By the fourth year of his rule, everyone was just totally fed up with Paul. Each day he got worse and worse. The conspirators who began to gather had to deal with a monarch who was also increasingly paranoid. He knew he was unpopular, and because of it he increased the power of the secret police and trusted virtually no one. So paranoid was he that he had a new palace built, complete with a moat, the Mikhailovsky Zamok, also known as Michael's Castle. Paul had his family moved into the new building in February 1801 before the plaster on the walls were fully dried. There's a whole story to this uh, with the plastered walls, that he actually had these extremely hot uh, metal plates put up on the wall to dry them faster. Uh, and it created horrible conditions for people. And many died uh, because of the high moisture content and the heat inside the building when they were then forced to go outside into the cold of the winter. Only a few people were really close to the emperor, with one being Count Peter Alexeyevich Palin, who it turns out would be the chief architect of the plot to overthrow the Tsar. First, though, the conspirators needed the okay from Paul's son, Alexander. There is no doubt that he knew about the plot, but from what I've gathered, he had no idea that his father would be murdered in the coup. Matter of fact, they actually had a letter of abdication for Paul to sign, and if they were going to go to murder him, why would they have him sign a paper? Uh, 
I think it was the problem was that many of the men involved in the coup were just liquored up. With a bunch of drunk men trying to force a stubborn emperor to advocate, you have all the makings of an assassination. So on the evening of March 10th, 1801 into the 11th, Tsar Paul was strangled to death. The murder would haunt his son for the rest of his life. While Paul's reign did some good, like the development of ministries that would help run the country, his paranoia and his emphasis on military discipline and creating a stronger police state would send the Romanov dynasty in a downward spiral. I have to emphasize this stronger police state. He really built this secret police up to start spying on the people because he thought there was a conspiracy behind every corner. And when you do that, you actually create more conspiracies, in my opinion, when you start looking at history. The more paranoid you become, the more conspiratorial you believe things are, the more you repress the people, the more the people fight back. Which is what happened. We see Nicholas I just putting the clamps down, as we said last episode, and then Alexander opening things up, but he gets assassinated. Alexander III shuts it down. And I know uh, listener Dominic had asked also about Alexander and the fact that Alexander Solzhenitsyn thought he was a good czar. Uh, he wasn't a bad czar, but again, when you repress people, you can't keep on doing it without them wanting to revolt. And I think the overt repression of Nicholas I, Paul, Alexander III, led to more revolutionary ideas coming out. The people were fed up. So was Paul that bad after all? Yeah, I do think so. There were twinklings of good things coming from his rule, but this rampant paranoia bred through his relationship with his mother and haunted by the murder of his father tainted any positive movement in reforming his country. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join me next time as I'm going to change directions from going over the uh, the czars in backward order and I'm going to cover a subject that I really didn't do a very good job of when it came about. And that was one of the most gut-wrenching and devastating periods in human history. And that is the Russian Civil War. It will be a multi-part set of podcasts because it's so immense. And the lives lost. There were an estimated between 7 million to 12 million lives lost in this war. Uh, The devastation to the countryside, to the people to their very being. It was just immense. Oh, you think about the American Civil War, which was a horrible war. And I believe there was around 600,000 men uh, who died. This is 7 to 12 million. You know, a magnitude of 10 to maybe 15, 20 times more. Uh, Just an awful, awful time. And I think it really needs to be looked at a little bit more in depth than I did in the past. So now, as always, das vidanya is pasibo bolshoya.